Thanksgiving weekend, and so we have a tradition of uh, Mr. Greg Thatcher speaking. Uh, if you're new to Lake Sam or, or just like, who's that great guy? He's one of our worship leaders. Um, he is a teacher at Kirkland Middle. He got a, a new full-time position there that we're super excited about. And so he's just a fun guy. He loves the word, uh, studies it, loves God. And so I think we're going to be in for a great message. So I haven't brought you, you up yet, you but you're coming me? up anyways. Uh, welcome, Greg Thatcher. <laughs> I love, I love Adam's leadership. I'm thankful for it very much so. Thank you, Adam, for uh, taking charge this morning and serving us. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good Thanksgiving. You didn't have to call the Butterball hotline, I hope. No? Okay. Um, it's interesting to me this time of the year when, um, well, let's do this first. Let, let's sing, a, let's sing a, uh, an Advent carol. This is the Catholic part of me coming out, by the way which I'm really thankful for, because without the Catholic part of it, I don't think I would know Jesus today the way that I do. Um, Rich, I'm going to do a different one than, than you had said, even though, yeah, it's okay. I'll do it next time, I promise. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. This is the time of the year, this is the first Advent uh, Sunday, by the way, first Sunday of Advent. It's the time of the year when it ushers in all the movies, right? <laughs> all the sappy, soapy movies, you know, oh, I just remember this, before Christmases. Now, that's not a sappy, if you've seen that one, that's not a sappy movie. But all the sappy movies that kind of bring in the fact, you know, some extraterrestrial visitor comes down to somebody who needs help, and they kind of nudge them in the right direction, right, and they become a different person. <laughs> Those things are kind of puny compared to the fact that the Son of God came to give life to people who did not deserve it, who were away from him. It's not some just extraterrestrial guy. It wasn't just an angel. It wasn't just somebody who God sent by mistake. You've seen some of those things. Oh, I wasn't supposed to be here. You know, that sort of thing. But the Son of God came and ransomed not only Israel, but he ransomed us as his people. Kurt has been talking about, um, has referenced uh, the book of Acts and the, and the series that we're in, Empowered. I don't know, how many years are we in this now? 50 or something? 51 <laughs> years in this series? And... Um, He's talked about in the book of Luke and uh, how the book of Luke shows us that there is a program for believers, and that is like a, a bachelor's program and then a master's program. And then because Jesus is going to go away and send the comforter, we're going to be in a doctoral program. And at this point in, our ser in, the, in the message, I'm certainly thinking I'm in my doctoral program. Uh, it comes home to me being a school teacher. I think this is my 38th. Is it the 38th year, honey, in the profession? And uh, in the summer of 2015, after being in Christian school ministry for about 35 years, uh, God called me to be in public education. 
And this was before anybody was talking about, you know, like Kurt was talking about simple obedience and jumping off and those sorts of things. And I really felt that he was, that he was calling me to go into public education, so I signed up as a substitute. And what happened was I, I ended up being at um, a high school up the road here, up 405, and I was there all year. I was there all year. Same job, because one guy was gone and I took his spot. And now I'm at Kirkland Middle School this year. And I, I certainly think it's a doctoral program in my walk with Jesus. And was I prepared to do, to do this? Only, only by his grace was I prepared to take the jump. But early in my walk with Jesus, people would talk about evangelism. It's always a scary thought. <laughs> You know, it's a, it's a daunting term to me. I was, I was, by the way, I was in a number of outreaches. When I first got saved, I told everybody about Jesus. I had zeal and no knowledge. Well, if you don't receive Jesus, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting him. Wow. Now, there's love and compassion for you, just like the Savior showed. Um, by the way, a few of those people did get saved later. And they said, you know, you were one of the first people I thought of when I gave my life to Christ. And I thought, boy, that's grace. <laughs> that's grace. <laughs> that's really grace. I was in a number of different outreaches. I handed out tracks at SeaTac Airport. I went to the um, Olympics in Montreal in 1976 on an outreach. But it was always a daunting prospect. And at a retreat one time, I thought, you know, I think the Lord's put me on the earth to encourage his church and to strengthen believers. You know, I was always afraid that <laughs> the hard part of being a street crazy is picking each day's sign. <laughs> you know, that evangelism kind of meant that. Cult? What makes you think it's a cult? <laughs> I knew guys like that. Before I was saved, I would argue with them on a street corner. And by the way, my grandfather was a street preacher. Yeah, yeah. And I, was, I was afraid I was kind of be a crazy, you know, if evangelism was that. But I've also found that in Christian school, instead of just ministering to the little angels that came to flutter their wings, <laughs> that I did evangelism too because there were people there that didn't know Jesus and kids who didn't give their life to Jesus yet. But I really liked being in the Christian school. But to go from the Christian school ministry to public school ministry, well, here's my doctoral program and I'm still learning and I'm still listening and in 62 years of life, I'm still changing. Isn't that cool? Can we be vital in the name of Jesus throughout our lives? And the answer is yes. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. That's right. So this morning we're going to talk about Jesus ministering to the woman at the well. And this is not in Luke, but it's, most, it's, it's a lot like the stories you find in Luke one-on-one, -on -one, like with Zacchaeus. And with different people that Jesus saw one-on-one. -on -one. And this is going to be a little bit lengthy in, in Scripture, but not in the message. Okay, Kurt wanted me to make sure I, I made that clear. The, 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 the Scripture is lengthy, but the, the message is, is rather short. Jesus and his disciples had decided to go back to Galilee. And to get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jo Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, and don't forget Samaritans were hated by Jews because Samaritans were half-Jew. Okay, don't forget that. They thought they were worse. They were goyim. Okay, worse than Gentiles kind of thing. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give, Jesus said to her, would you give me a drink of water? 
his disciples had gone to the village to buy food. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and livestock, and passed it down to us? Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I will give will never thirst, not ever. The water I will give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. Well, wasn't that true this morning? We're going to worship? Whoa, man. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. <laughs> she loved Jesus. He said, go, call your husband, come back. <laughs> I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming. It has, in fact, come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking out for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Man, there's a sermon right there, isn't there? Wow. God is sheer being himself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being and their spirits, their true selves, in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that, when Mes that Messiah is coming. When he arrives, you'll get the whole, we'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Just then, his disciples came back, and they were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of a woman. No one saw, said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, come see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. Wow, what a story. By the way, um, you don't go get water at noon in arid, hot Samaria. She was so troubled. She was so outcast. From a cultural standpoint, she already had a strike against her. And from a, from, a, um, from a social standpoint, she'd been married five times and was living with a man. Living in sin, as we used to call it. Jesus, for her, right there, he was right there and he looked past who she, what she said and viewed her hurt. And how did she see herself? J Jesus viewed a woman in genuine need of love and compassion and he ministered to her right there one-on-one. -on -one. 
Inside and outside, she was in deep need. She was outcast and she was ugly. Her people were outcast, but she didn't look on her, herself from the outside so much. She had an encounter with Emmanuel, God with us. And isn't it great that in our lives, Jesus, belo- Jesus believes in love at first sight? Isn't that cool? I believe in love at first sight when it comes to, being, uh, to having people know Christ because he loves them in that way. At verse 18, I'm sorry, when I was 18, Jesus stopped and asked me right in the middle of who I was, and he might be asking you the same thing today right now, the same questions right in the middle of your life. Do you want a drink of living water? Do you want me to give you water that will spring up every day? Do you want to know me and all that I am? Are you willing to forsake what you want and embrace my way for you? You know, my responses back then were not too different from hers. Uh, let's not talk about my life. Let's talk about religion and why it's so bad. <laughs> That's, you know, you know, you know what the results of this meeting were with this outcast, this ugly person? No, not Joe yet. Sorry. Sorry, Joe. You got to wait. The outcome was this. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did. He knows me inside and out. They asked him to stay on, so Jesus stayed two days. A lot more people trusted their lives to him when, he heard what he had to, when they heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves, and we know it for sure. He's the savior of the world. This outcast woman said that Jesus told her everything she ever did, but the fact was Jesus told her what her sin was, and Jesus leveled the playing field. He knew who she was long before she got there. He knew what she had done long before she did it, and he reached out to her while she was still in the middle of being ugly in her estimation. That's where we're headed. Kirk Jackson's going to pray, whereas the wonderful Mr. Jackson, who has such a servant's heart, he is the guy so often behind the scenes at the sound booth and in the youth department. Kirk, we really, we really appreciate you, brother. Would you pray for this morning, and uh, would you also pray for another church? Sure thing. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for Greg. Lord, uh, I just ask that you bless his words, God, and communicate to us uh, deep into our hearts what you'd like to. Lord, and and be that well for us and um, to draw us near to you and your truth, God, and to, to really to heal us. Yes, Lord. Lord, um, thank you for your provision in this in this season. Uh, Lord, and I want to lift up uh, Beijing International Christian Fellowship um, and people there and, yes, and the groups and the work they do in the people's lives and how to reach out to the community there. Thanks, Kirk. At home a few weeks ago, I was pondering a post on Facebook regarding Joe Cocker. I was a Joe Cocker fan. I was in rock and roll, and Joe Cocker was a personal hero of mine. I just thought he was wonderful. He passed away in December of 2014. It's quite a story about Joe, but we're not here to eulogize Joe. Joe was known as a singer of other songwriters' songs. Joe covered Beatles songs and Dylan songs. Paul McCartney once said that Joe Cocker... uh, did better at singing other people's songs than the people that wrote them. Quite a compliment. 
Joe's probably best known for two songs in particular. Uh, one is at Woodstock for A Little Help From My Friends, which is a Lennon McCartney song. Don't ask me who Lennon McCartney is, okay? Okay, it's not one person, it's two people. Lennon McCartney, okay? And the other song is Up Where We Belong, which won a Grammy, a Golden Globe, and an Academy Award for an officer and a gentleman. Joe was quite a guy. But this post referred to Joe as the best, ugliest rock singer of his era. <laughs> as I read that, I remember reading it. <laughs> I said out loud, Joe wasn't ugly. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> maybe he was. But you see, I didn't see Joe in terms of looks. Okay, he wasn't the most handsome of the British invasion, it's true. But they said Joe was ugly. This is not a eulogy about Joe, but thinking about how often we judge by the sight of people or by our assumptions of them. Last year at, um, at Juanita, I guess I'll go ahead and name it, up the road on 405, I have some views of people's ugly. I got to know students and staff who were living in hurt, and from their own mouth, they, they felt ugly. They felt outcast, some of them. Here's some of the students that I had the privilege of getting to know. One struggled mightily with gender identification. Another had just been released from rehab. She was only 15, and it was for heroin. I put her in touch with a number of other students who had been to rehab and were trying to hold on. Students who had family problems like mom and dad who didn't want them at home anymore. Some had learning problems like severe dyslexia and small muscle dysfunction. Some had brain processing problems that only would befall most of us in our nightmares. Kids who showed up for my class hungry every morning. Some of those same students had undocumented parents who were living in the shadows. There was a girl who was pregnant with triplets, another who was bullied and harassed to the point of tears almost every day and had to have Counseling for six months before the thing was resolved. Then there was Ethan, a very quiet student, who one day asked to talk to me after class. Sorry. He told me still, that he was still hurting over a bullying situation he had encountered when he was going to the Christian school the year before. He still had anger and rage and didn't know what to do with it. And non-Christian there, non-Christian kids there at the public school, had accepted him and loved him. And he said, Mr. Thatcher, how can that be? Sometimes you don't have answers. Sometimes you just listen. I was overwhelmed every day, and yet, <laughs> I looked forward to going back there to teach. You see, as their teacher, I'm their advocate, no matter what. I learned to really love them, to care for them, to pray for them, not at school, One day I was outside the principal's office talking to the office manager about a really important point um, we were discussing. And uh, he, the principal came out and he, he knows my background and he knows I'm a person of faith and he's also a Jewish guy. And I was on one knee at the desk and he said, now Greg, there's no praying in public schools. <laughs> so funny. You know what? I didn't see one of those kids as ugly or strange or different. Now, had I only gone by what I saw or what I heard or what I assumed or what I imagined, 
I probably would have judged them and not loved them. I would have seen them as ugly, perhaps. You know, I wish I could tell you that that all stopped, you know, but I still do that. But before that, I was really good at, at like, being a fruit inspector. You know what I mean? That's not what we're called to do, okay? You know, I probably would have condemned them and had no grace for them. Instead, I began to love them at first sight. You know, every day when I think about this, I walk the halls with Jesus. He instructed me every day. He gave my heart, my mind, and my mouth grace to deal with every situation. What's intriguing is um, there's a drama instruction that maybe some of you know. You've probably seen this on the uh, CenturyLink commercials. Now show me, don't tell me. You know, for one of the first times in my life, in teaching all those years, it was show me, don't tell me. And I had to bring God into it without saying something about him, but yet knowing I was his agent and ambassador in the moment, but, not by, but being restricted from saying that because of the public school situation and district policy and so forth. I learned to point the way and give godly counsel. I put them in touch with reliable resources like young life leaders and students. <laughs> That's okay, by the way. My principal also said that you can always say our thoughts and prayers are with you. Isn't that nice? I said it more than once. What's ironic is the needs of the staff and the faculty where I was teaching were as real and as palpable as the needs of the students. And yet, here were my amazing colleagues reaching out, not just teaching, but giving as much compassion and love as they knew how to give to these amazing students, and yet they themselves were hurting in some situations. I taught with some of the most amazing people both this year and last year. My mind and my heart and my life is being revolutionized by the places that I've been in these last two years. Just as an aside, in all the meetings I've been to with staff and teachers, they want biblical principles, but they don't want God. <laughs> By the way, there's plenty of Christians in, the, in schools, too, more than you might think. More than I was led to believe, because I was always led to believe that they were the enemy. And now I am that, maybe. I was reflecting about that one day. Have I become a universalist or something? <laughs> You know, and all this, and being in Christian schools for so long, and then being in the public school, and being accepting and loving, and I don't know these kids' background, and where they're at, or where, their parents, I got to know some of them too, and, and the staff, I thought, am I becoming a universalist? And You know, I don't think so. In fact, I know so. There's no compromise when it comes to Jesus. I'm more alive in Jesus, and more aware of his plan in my life, and I believe actually using the talents 100% that he has given me. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Be energetic in your life. This is out of the message version. Your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. Boy, didn't, don't you think I had to be sensitive in that moment, in those moments? That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. Living water is supposed to be springing out of us. 
to give to others. And I won't tell you that, it's not that in the Christian school I didn't do that. It's just that at Juanita, I knew it. It was like a lifeline. It was like being in a river. It was, it was fantastic. One day after school was out, I was cleaning the kitchen. My wife will tell you it doesn't happen very often. I was cleaning the kitchen at school where I taught foods. And my coworker was gone and I was singing out loud. And the joy of the Lord and tears running down my face. And I thought, wow, I never thought it could be like this. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> Boy, talk about doctoral program. You know, make it personal. Did you ever have someone in your life prior to knowing Jesus that listened and that loved you and cared for you? Regardless of where you were at in your life, holding out living water to you? They asked the right questions and they listened in all the right places. Don't you love people like that? My sister-in-law, Shannon, so loved her sister, my wife, Maureen. Hi, sweetie. When Maureen was in such a difficult place, I don't mean with me, although Maureen's been in plenty of difficult places with me. But before she knew me, with no judgment, she just listened to Maureen with much grace and love. Shannon helped win Maureen to a real, sustaining relationship with Jesus. And let me tell you something, just as an aside. It's not really an aside. My wife is so giving and so loving. She's the best representation, the best example of the Lord Jesus I have ever met. And she waits on other people at times like you can't believe. And sometimes I get frustrated with that, but you know what one thing really comforts me? She always comes back to me and she always takes care of me. That is such an example. I believe that Shannon, her sister, planted that inside of Maureen as she came to Jesus. And I'm so thankful. Do you have, you have people like that? Have you had people like that in your life? Would you, would you just bow your head with me right now and just thank God for that person or those people that God used in your life? Maybe you don't have a person like that in your life. Pray for one. Pray for one to come alongside of you. Or, or maybe pray that you could be that person. Thanks, Lord, for all the dear saints you have brought our way to minister to us. Thank you that you've been faithful through those ministers, God. In Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 says this. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Can you, what would our lives look like if we didn't? Oh, he's, she's, oh, I could see it coming a mile away. Why are are Christians so judgmental? This is something I've gone through in my head, like being in a public school situation. I am so judgmental. I make myself sick with it. Do you? Do you ever reflect on this and just go, what am I doing? And you get to know the person and they weren't that way at all. Oh. I love situations like that. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him no longer, that way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. That's what we are. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Now all things are of God, who has re reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And that's this, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's committed it to you and I. He's gone, but the Holy Spirit is here, and he's instructing us about the life of Jesus that resides in us so that we can give that to others, not like, you got to repent. There's a place for that. I mean, my grandfather proved that as a street, street minister. There's a place for that. But more than that, the day and age we live in says that we live it out in front of people. We don't bash them over the head with it. You bash them over the head with the cross and they come back to, to break the cross and we go, oh, you're offending me. <laughs> well, you've been beating them over the head with it. Well, they need it, don't oh, you? <laughs> we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness. I love that, become the righteousness of God. God's ambassadors. We represent him. How are we doing with that? Where are you and I in this process of being ambassadors and having him expand us as people? What about reconciling the world to him as his ambassadors? When the call went out from Jubilee Reach, and thanks, Chantel, for giving us that call, about Jubilee Reach, and the different places that we've talked about to have ministry out in our community, out from here, starting here, but out from here. And Kurt talking about uh, Rainier Avenue in Seattle. What's our response? My, I don't know about you, but mine is a, a little bit like, oh no, <laughs> don't ask me to do more. <laughs> you wanna see my schedule? I believe that life-changing, world-changing experiences await the church outside of these walls. Starting here, yes, with worship, because that tends to push us out into the community. Starting with worship, starting with our community, and goes out. That's what ambassadors do. They represent the country. They're well-established with their kingdom, with their king, and he sends them out to do business for him. I want Jesus to get 100% return on the investment he's put in me. This is not an owing thing. This is he so loved me thing that I can't help but give myself. And when I was there every day last year and this year as well, I feel as though I am walking as his ambassador every day. I'm a, I, and you know what? That puts me like, <laughs> like, like this, like, you know, go low, <laughs> go low. I don't know everything. I don't. I can't assume things about people. I can't do that. I'm not talking about a social gospel. I'm talking about an action gospel that reflects God's call for his church in the here and now. That 100% return on the investment of the talents and the gifts. And, give, and, and some of us will, will give, like we've been given five talents, we'll get five more. Others of us will get four out of the five, give, get, I'm sorry, get four more, and, you know, and so forth and so on, but don't bury it. God wants 100% return on the investment of Jesus that he's put inside of you, inside of me. I'm gonna be held accountable for these things. 
Philip Yancey said this in his book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace. This is really relevant. This was written like over 20 years ago. This is so relevant. The issues that confront Christians in our secular society must be faced. Our democracy gives Christians every right to express themselves. But we dare not invest so much in the kingdom of this world that we neglect our main task of introducing people to a different kind of kingdom. I want to know whether you're left-wing, right-wing, moderate, independent, libertarian, whatever you might be, this is a different kind of kingdom that Jesus is talking about. You got your green card to work here because you don't belong here. <laughs> you don't belong here. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. <laughs> the angels beckon me to heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. But while we're here, it's a different kind of kingdom. Don't politicize things to the point where you forget, you and I forget, that it's a different kind of kingdom, one based solely on God's grace and forgiveness. If a century from now, all historians can say about evangelicals of our generation is that they stood for family values, then we failed the mission Jesus gave us to accomplish, to communicate God's reconciling love to sinners, and isn't that what he did in your life and in my life if we know him? I'm sorry he didn't put the Libertarian Party in my heart. He put Jesus in my heart. That's, that's a powerful quote. But a century from now, all historians can say about evangelicals of our generation as they stood for family values, then we have failed the mission Jesus gave us to accomplish, to communicate God's reconciling love to sinners. It really speaks to our nation's situation right now, does it not? No matter where we are politically, we can rally around this as his loved ones, that our mission is to communicate God's reconciling love to sinners. And, that, and what did Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world. And again, our citizenship, if we're believers, is in heaven first. And that's the main point of the mission. Do we pray for our individuals? It's interesting to me, the Apostle Paul never called for Nero to be assassinated. What did he say? He said, pray for the government. Pray for those in power, that we might live peaceable lives. In other words, we have, a, we have an open door to preach the gospel. That should be the rallying point for us. You know, as a, as a Catholic believer long ago, I can understand that, um, that I was ugly and that Jesus, that Jesus took my ugly. I was uglier on the inside than Joe Cocker ever was on the outside. And I can't get better, but the blood of Jesus has redeemed me. And while I'm here, I'm going to keep reaching for what he wants in my life. His life is to be living and growing and evident on the inside of me so it shines out to give living water. I understand that he took, he took my ugly. And not only did he take my ugly, but he took the ugly of every person that has lived, not just the sin, not just the, the rebellion of first turning away from him, but the sin and the sins. And my question, maybe this morning, one of the questions I would have is, what did it like, look like from eternity before the Son of God came? What must it have looked like? 
first time I've ever used a wordle. <laughs> what must it have looked like from eternity to Jesus, to the Father? Look at all that stuff. I was, I was thinking of putting, you know, like flashing pictures through and, you know, make, nah, I'm not going to do that. The ultimate was seeing Jesus on the cross for me. That's just, I, I don't know why he would do it. I understand a little bit why he did, but what did it look like before he came? What did it look like to him? All these things. Still he came. One reason is the world was not what he intended for any of his creation after Adam and Eve. He so loved us. <laughs> what we set in motion by Adam's sin and our complicity in it he came to redeem and to save. He came to wipe, to wipe the slate clean of that by the blood of his son. That's why he came. The ugly of where we were, of all those generations of history, and all the things that we had done, this and billions of things more, and personalized that, and the son of God sought from eternity, and he still came. He still came. It's the only way we we're going to get back to him was that he gave his life. In the spirit of the season, from Galatians 4, but when the right time came, <laughs> do you love that? Don't you love those phrases in the Bible that says, but then God, but God did. Don't you love those phrases? But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so he could adopt us as his very own children. Because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Servants of the household were not allowed to use that term. This is what I understand. The children, adopted or otherwise, were the only ones who were authorized to use that term, Abba. We're his children. <laughs> You're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. <laughs> what? You know, if I went back to the word, I was all those things and more, and you're going to make me an heir? Remember the prodigal? Father, I'm not worthy to be in your house anymore. Just make me a servant. It'll be okay. Don't you feel like that sometimes? Just make me a servant. You know, and then the father came out and threw a robe around him and gave him a ring and put sandals on his feet. All those things are significant. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law. God knew without the redemption of Jesus on the cross, the shedding of his blood, that Jesus, is, without his death and resurrection, we were utterly lost without him. You and I would be walking the earth and it would be really, really, really terrible. And it would be awful. And we are the remnant pushing back the evil that would be there without Jesus. What does the Lord require from us, given that we are his heirs? Not as slaves, but as heirs. What's required of us? The gift he holds out to each one of us is the same that he offered the woman at the well, living water, flowing from the inside of us out to others, making us pure and holy in his sight and making things not ugly but beautiful, made possible by his one and only son. And through us, just like the woman at the well, he wants to use us to bring others so that they can have the gift of eternal life. The doctoral program, I think, is, is more about 
not being able to maybe use his name a lot, but living his name a lot. Selah, living his name a lot. God, for God's message to be shouted from the housetops, it's up to us, his church, not to see ugly. Well, she smells. Breathe through your nose. Oh, your mouth, sorry. Breathe through your mouth. You want people like that? Yeah, it smells. Breathe through your mouth. He always wants something. You be the one to give him something. You know, there's a reason they're that way. Couldn't, couldn't, isn't there a government program of some sort? You know, it kind of sounds like this to me. Remember Dickens from A Christmas Carol? Remember Ebenezer Scrooge? Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? Isn't there a government program to help these people? <laughs> You're the kingdom program. <laughs> You're his representative. You're his heir <laughs> to help. Forget about the government in that sense. Forget about the government. What about you? And when Ebenezer pursued this, the ghost of Christmas, I think it was Christmas present, said, will you, decide what men, will you decide what men shall live and what men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven, you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. And he was talking about Tiny Tim. Go back and read Dickens' story, The Christmas Carol. Don't, don't just watch it. There's some good illustrations of that. But who we are supposed to be, that's a good picture. That's a good picture of who we're supposed to be. Jesus has got a better one than that. Remember Kurt's question about, his questions about why do you love so-and-so, Lord, and who have you made so-and-so, what have you made so-and-so to do, to be? It's the same story here. Jesus knew why he loved the woman at the well. He knew what he made her to be. God loves people right now. Right now. Right how they are. God's line, no waiting. And he knows what they're supposed to be. If we go after what, just what they look like or what we assume they're like, then they're ugly, and we've missed our mission in pointing the way to Christ. Think of the results if we're determined not to know them according to the flesh. Think of how if the church would reach out, if I would reach out and do kingdom work without seeing how a person looks on the outside and look at what's on the inside. And isn't it interesting I had to go to public education to see that? and get a picture and get a glimpse of, hey son, as my ambassador, this is the way I want you to look at things. People won to God. What'll happen? People will be won to God. There'll be culture shock and the culture will be changed. It will be like the people in Sychar who listen to the woman and they'll say, we're no longer taking this on your say so. We've heard it for ourselves and we know for sure. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Here's an old question for you. 
What can we give God this Christmas? I remember my mother-in-law, Catherine, God rest her soul. Now a day goes by, I don't think about Catherine. She used to make a birthday cake for Jesus. Isn't that cool? You know, us asking what can we give to God is a little bit like us asking our moms or dads for money so we can buy them a present with their own money. <laughs> Did you used to do that? I want to get you something for Father's Day, Dad. <laughs> can you give me some money? But you know, in the context of, of this season, this could be the start of a present that will last into eternity and that, will, that others will recognize you in eternity and say, Thank you for bringing me the Savior. It was because of you that I understand the Savior. I understood the kingdom. I didn't understand everything about church or everything about theology or everything about the Bible, but what you gave me helped me to understand the gift of Jesus. <sighs> Ask him and he will birth. Well, what's our response going to be? Uh, I remember Josh Morris asked the, brought this question. He said, what about if we hear God, what God wants, but we don't want to do it? Lord, I, I want to I, I I serve you. Okay, here it is. Here's the way to serve me. Not that way. <laughs> you got some other way? You know, I'm kind of like Jonah. <laughs> Go to Nineveh. Ah, Tarsus. <laughs> right down that way. If you ask him, he'll birth it. Lord, would you give us a new heart? Would you give us a new heart for ugly things? Lord, would you take care of each one of those kids I've named this morning? There were so many others, God. Would you take care of those kids? Lord, that we, the people that we know who so desperately need you, God, speak to us. God, my colleagues need you where I'm at now. My colleagues need you, Jesus. I want to be a gift. I want to be a gift. Help us to show and not tell. Lord, have your heart beat on the inside of us so we can share living water with them. Let that water be so evident and so refreshing that they want you. They don't want the ugly. The ugly will pass away once they know you. Would you take the cup, two cups that are in front of you?